Welcome to the Cybersecurity Simplified Podcast, where we take the mystery out of today's top security threats and solutions. Welcome to the Cybersecurity Simplified Podcast. I'm your co-host, Susanna Song. And I'm Dave Barton. And this is our final episode of the year, and we have a lot to talk about in terms of our amazing community. Right, David? We have a great community. We totally do. How many, how many shows did we do this year, Susanna? We had 12 episodes this year. Wow, that's awesome. And some of you know about Spotify's uh, Wrapped, uh, where they spew out a, a bunch of statistics and metrics of how well you know your song or your, um, your podcast did. And we have some right. really impressive stats to share with our listeners. You know, I was just shocked when I saw the numbers, right? We had, I think one of the stats that stood out to me the most was we had viewers or listeners in 108 countries. Is that right? Absolutely. 108 countries. Crazy. Um, and we, our podcast spiked more than 500% compared to last year's in terms of uh, downloads, minutes. Right. Left. The total was just shy of 250 minutes um, that you and I broadcast right. uh, on Spotify. So 12 episodes, 248 minutes, 108 countries. Um, we had listeners increase their amount of time of listening to us more than 500%. So what, what an incredible year. It's been awesome. <clears throat> you know, we, we just don't have that much family, so we know it's not us. <laughs> it's I don't not. have that much family. No, and it's the affirmation is there. We get a lot of emails. And we get Absolutely. People on LinkedIn. And, and we get quite a few people who are interested in, in, in a career in cybersecurity, which is exactly for, I know for you, especially because you're dealing with talent shortage um, and a lot, there, a lot of organizations are, are facing that crisis. So to get young, you know, young people interested so early on or, or willing to change careers and dive right into cybersecurity. Right. Well, and the challenge that they've been, that I'm hearing a lot of is they want an entry-level job, but the entry-level job requires years of experience, which really means it's not an entry-level job. And, and they're like, how do, I, how do I bridge this gap between not having the skill yet and not being able to get an entry-level job? And, and that's been interesting. I've seen a lot of uh, news groups, conversations around it in the CISO community where uh, you know, a lot of us are in the same boat thinking that you know, the experience is not as important as the aptitude. Do, do they have the ability and, and do they want it, the attitude? So it's been interesting this year to see that and see people come out of our podcast and go, I love what you're telling, but I need help. What do you recommend? So it's right. been great. Well, this episode today, David, is going to be unlike any other uh, because this episode is actually going to be a replay of a webinar David and I co-hosted uh, with one of our amazing MSP partners. It's on a topic that actually, David, you evangelize a lot around, and that's about uh, taking a defense in depth approach to cybersecurity. It is. You know, it, it, every time I talk to partners or end customers, um, I always ask them, you know, how are you thinking about cyber? Because if, if you think there's a single tool, and you'll hear more about this in the webinar, that's going to solve all of your problems, you're wrong. Right. There's 4,000 cybersecurity products out there mm -hmm. and, and there's a reason they're all out there. But the downside of 4,000 is where do you start? Right. What are the right tools for me? And I think I think in the webinar, we, we did a decent job trying to answer that question. Yeah. So let's talk into the webinar. Ryan, thanks for joining us. No uh, usually, usually it's just Suzanne and I talking to each mm -hmm. other. So it's always great to get a third party to come in and give us perspective. For sure. Is that, is that why you have your disguise on today? It is. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a hat. I can, I can pull my beanie over and put some sunglasses on. Yeah. <laughs> and you're growing some facial hair here too. Yeah. It's not going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we, um, we want you to feel like you are, all of you guys listening today are in, um, in a room with us. And, uh, while, you know, all of you guys are muted. We do have a chat button. We have a Q and uh, Q and A tab. So please use those two liberally. And anytime I see a question, I'll interject. I'll stop the two speakers, and um, we'll make sure to get your questions out there. 
Also, we have a $200 Apple gift card that we'll be raffling out at the end of the session. So please stick around until the very end. Uh, and before we get started, I, I would like to do a formal introduction of our two speakers. So Ryan O'Hara is uh, an entrepreneur, the cybersecurity expert. He's also a two-time best-selling author, co-host of Security Squawk podcast, uh, also the CEO of Sphinx Cybersecurity. And Sphinx is a Michigan-based IT and cybersecurity services firm that helps SMB clients manage their cyber risk. David Barton, uh, he is, as you just heard, um, our CTO here at Highwire Networks. He also uh, leads technology and product teams, uh, leads operations for Overwatch, which is our cybersecurity business unit. Um, and, and Overwatch has expanded now to also include 24-7 NOC services. Uh, he has more than 20 years of cybersecurity experience. He was the former CISO of Stellar Cyber. And he is also my co-host and expert extraordinaire of the Cybersecurity Simplified podcast. I don't think I can live up to that. <laughs> I, I was taking notes. I got to add extraordinaire into mine somewhere. I need to publish a book or two, it sounds like, because of Ryan, I'm, I'm behind you there. Oh, we, we can help with that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome, gentlemen. Uh, let me start with Ryan uh, to get a little bit... Um, kind of background uh, of your business. Sure. What was the aha moment for you when you realized that your MSP business, um, in order for it to grow, it had to include cybersecurity and cybersecurity actually had to be at the center of the business? You know, I, I don't know if it was something so much about growth as it was just about need. I mean, it was, it was really, you know, uh, going a couple of weeks and realizing uh, that I was losing a little bit more sleep than I probably should have wondering, you know, not only, uh, you know, is, is my business protected? Are my clients protected? Are we doing all of the things that people need to be doing uh, with what we're seeing and how the market was shifting uh, market, probably a bad word, but how, how the uh, industry was shifting uh, just right. with the rapidly growing uh, threats that, that we were seeing out there. I mean, it, it still is. I mean, the, the last six months, you know, we've, seen uh, as much change as we saw in the last two years prior to that. So this was probably about four, four and a half years ago where it was like, okay, you know, I don't want to keep waking up in the middle of the night with that in the back of my head. I want to be able to get some sleep. So uh, starting that path to you know, figuring out what we needed to do uh, to provide our customers with uh, the things that we know that they need, not necessarily the things that they want, because you know, and that's, that's still an issue today where uh, our average client um, you know, doesn't know what they don't know. They don't have a very clear understanding about what's going on in, in today's landscape or what they need to do to prevent it. So they have their own ideas of what they think that they need. Uh, and it's our job, in, in my opinion, as the uh, folks on the expert side of the field to say, hey, you know, these are the things that you need. This, it, it's more about us offering them that knowledge so that they can make that decision than it is about um, you know, adding a tool or whatever to our stack. Uh, so... We tease today's uh, webcast as the one must have. So in your opinion, what is the one must have in your MSSP staff or your security staff? The, to me, the, the, the one must have is, is just the, the layered approach. I mean, so I guess the one must have is that there isn't one must have. It, it's, it's a whole package deal kind of thing. You know, and, and this is something that we've seen. Uh, you know, I, I work closely with a lot of MSPs uh, as well, where I, I've got friendships with people in the industry. Uh, and then, you know, people that we see in, in uh, communities and conferences that we speak with. Um, and, and unfortunately, I think our industry um, is as a whole kind of lagging behind a little bit where, you know, when I said, uh, when I was talking about, you know, my switch to uh, a cybersecurity focus, it, it wasn't just an overnight thing. I mean, it, it was probably, uh, you know, anywhere from an eight to 18 month um, transition to get those pieces in place, to learn what pieces we needed uh, and to have a plan together. It's, and I think a lot of MSPs, unfortunately, right now, aren't doing as much of that research and are just jumping in and going, you know, oh, I added, uh, you know, an EDR product or I added this or I added that. And now I'm doing cybersecurity. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it. What's important is to, you know, there's a bunch of different frameworks out there. Choose something and build your stack around that framework. 
you know, follow that solution. You know, there's a million different products that are out there that that can solve for the different uh, aspects of those frameworks. Uh, but use that as your guide. Don't just go out and talk to a bunch of vendors and buy tools from whoever had the uh, the slickest sales pitch. You know, you, you got to have a plan in place in order to do that because really at the end of the day, you have to plan on any one or more of those uh, solutions and, and things in your stack to fail because right. you know, we see it every day. Yeah, David, I'm curious your your perspective with your 20 plus years, um, you've probably tried out different strategies. Like what is your perspective on on that layered approach that what we call defense and depth cybersecurity? So, you know, I'll lead with Ryan, you're right on the money. Um, you know, there, there's an adage that's true, which I guess makes it an adage. If, if you fail to plan, you're going to fail. And if you don't have a plan, AKA a strategy, AKA a framework of how you want to get from maturity level zero to 10, you're never going to get to 10. You might stop at two, right? And to your point, Ryan, we in the cyber industry and not Highwire specifically, but the, the cyber companies that are selling products, we, we have exacerbated the problem in that I saw a number the other day, there are 4,000 security tools, right? And there's probably more than that. Yeah, but I was gonna say that even sounds low. <laughs> it might be low, but you know, and I've, I've used this story a few times. When, when I walked through RSA last, even this past year, there were 2,000 booths plus of vendors selling their next best thing or trying to get people to come in and buy. And to your point, they have a great sales pitch. They got great giveaways. They, you know, they, they try to build the relationship and have you buy their stuff. And then you get home and you're like, I got all this stuff. What do I do? Right. And if you don't have a strategy and you don't have a roadmap in your head or at least or on paper that uh, you're moving towards, you'll never get there. And so starting with a framework is, is you've heard me say this, Ryan, from stage many times, start with a framework. If you do nothing else, and, and folks listening today, if you do nothing else, then take this away. Start with the end in mind. Get a framework, and I don't even care which one you pick, right? Uh, you know, CMMC, CIS, NIST, GDP, GDPR, I, I don't care. We don't care. What I really want is I want you to have a plan. Here's where we are today, right? And, and take that plan, and I know I'm talking more than you wanted, Susanna, but take the plan, evaluate where you're at to the plan, find your gaps, and then build a roadmap to start addressing those. To me, that just makes sense. And, and to add to that too, David, you know, I, I think consequently, some people are going to get stuck in the minutia of, okay, well, which framework do I choose? Because there's a lot of different things on the plate. Just pick one. Just pick one. They're right. all very, very similar to the point where, and, 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 you know, unless there's a specific requirement right now, um, you know, it could be any of them. It's just having one of them and they're close enough together to where if you had a client or if there is, you know, government legislation or anything that, that says we need to follow, you know, this specific framework, they're all close enough to where you should be able to adapt pretty quickly. Where you're going to struggle is by not doing that now. And having, right. like I said, it, it, it took me, you know, between eight and 18 months to, to be you know, in a decent place from a cybersecurity perspective to being in a solid state of, of, of protection. This isn't something you're going to be able to turn around overnight. So by picking something today and starting down that path, uh, it's going to help you be able to transition if there is a specific framework that you have to use down the road. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah. I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Susanna, that the, the beauty of that statement, Ryan, is if I meet the control in FFEIC for mm -hmm. strong authentication, it's likely going to meet the same control for CMMC or right. the same control for NIST. And so to your point, build your strategy around meeting the controls of a framework mm -hmm. and then if you live in a state where they're starting to pass legislation that says you have to do this, all you have to do is map your controls to it and you're there. But if you don't have a place to start from, you're never going to get to where you're going to finish. And there's a lot of documentation out there to help you make those transitions. You know, if you're Absolutely. using this framework, you need to do this one. There's mapping documentation for a lot of these uh, yep. that can help smooth that process out for you and give you that roadmap from one to another. Exactly. You know, I was on a webinar earlier today and um, the security expert um, said something that really like opened my eyes as we talk about 
defense in depth here on this uh, this call is she said, first, you have to normalize your stack, right? It's not an additive approach. And I think, you know, whoever's on listening today, um, it's not just let's keep adding more solutions, right? Ryan, can you give us kind of a real life um, story or to take us through just a real life scenario? What does that look like, right? So, you know, David um, being the CTO um, and kind of the head of Overwatch, it's probably um, helped in, in many ways to help you strategize, but mm -hmm. you own the business, right? You are the MSP mm -hmm. owner. So there's a lot on your shoulders. How do you tackle it? How do you tackle this strategy? Well, I, I think it helps in having that philosophy where you're using a framework as your guide, but you have to be um, open to and aware that um, the solutions that you're providing today are going to change. So um, you, you can't get stuck in, these are my solutions today, and then just kind of get yourself in that comfort zone and push forward. Um, you know, to David's point, there's a lot of, of security products out there. Uh, those seem to be growing uh, in, in availability just as exponentially as, as the attacks that we're seeing. Um, so there's a lot of different solutions out there. Um, a lot of the tools that are in this space, I mean, it, it's not like, you know, the, the traditional IT tools that we've been using. So like, you know, you look at one RMM versus another RMM. I mean, for, the, for all intents and purposes, the feature sets are very, very similar, right? So if you're using one or the other, it probably doesn't matter that much. Um, security tools tend to be more the wild, wild west right now, where they're all kind of approaching things from different tactics and strategies. And um, so trying to find some uh, the, the, the formula of, of what your solution is going to uh, be and, and be most effective uh, is the first step. But then also being open to, you know, hey, you know, six months down the road, there may be a new tool that enters the market that uh, solves for, you know, three controls, whereas this one is solving for two and being able to kind of juggle um, and, and uh, change those things on top of the fact that uh, threat vectors are another issue. So, you know, six months down the road, there's probably going to be something new that the hackers are doing that we weren't prepared for prior to that. And we're going to either need to adjust how we're doing things or add another tool uh, in order to protect against that. But just how being you, aware. How do you find time to, to vet all this? How do you do it? Really, I mean, that, to me, that sounds like a lot. You have to be interested in this topic. And, and so that, I, I guess that's For one sure. thing I, I get from people a lot is like, hey, you know, this is really boring stuff, but I, I'm listening to you because you have a passion for it. And, and so that helps. So uh, I, I guess here, here's a good real, real world example, I think that maybe more appropriately answers your question. So when, when Kaseya VSA had their incident a couple of years ago, um, that was something where the, the, the way that that unfolded, it was, you know, one, oh, hey, this is happening. Two, this is a tool that we don't use, so that's good. We're, we're good, but at the same time, you can't just say, you know, we're good and not pay attention to it. So uh, over the course of that weekend and the fallout over the, the, the next couple of months, it was a matter of watching what happened and then imagining uh, the scenario of what if that was a tool that we used or what if, what if it was one of the tools that we use today uh, that had that same incident? Would the rest of our stack have uh, helped prevent the... the right. Uh, the disaster that occurred. And so looking at that, you know, as a case study, um, there was, were, were two very clear subsets of people that were impacted. You know, so if, if you were on a, uh, one of those, those Kaseya device or servers that, that were impacted and those, uh, the ransomware was pushed out to those devices, you had people who didn't have layers in place and their customers came in on Monday morning after 4th of July and had a ransomware incident. Yeah, nothing worked. You had the other side of people who did have layers in place where they still got that that payload, but it wasn't able to deploy. And right. so they had some minor cleanup that they had to do. So just looking at that on a big picture scale and then putting yourself in that position and then making sure and, and reevaluating your stack constantly as these things happen and change to make sure that if that was you. So essentially doing, you know, tabletop exercises for MSP cybersecurity stack, right? Yeah, and how, how do you even approach your customers about saying, hey, we need that layered approach. Um, I'm just assuming like end customers are like, really? One thing, yeah. I, I don't need just endpoint? Like that's, that's not, like, what do you say? You're trying to upsell me on more? Like, how, how do you approach clients? That, I mean, that, that's probably the biggest uh, hurdle that we have right now. And, and so, so on, on the one hand, you know, like, like I was talking about, we're dealing with customers who don't know what they don't know. So to me, it all starts with education. You know, one, letting them know that these things are happening. Um, sharing stories uh, that uh, we've experienced personally, like, because that's part of the problem is, is your average business owner, um, 
has the attitude of, you know, it hasn't happened to me. You know, none of my, my buddies who are business owners have had this happen to them. And I always come back to them with that. I was like, I bet you they have. The problem they just is don't they, know. they don't talk about it. It's, it's That's right. Advertised. So um, giving them that education so that they understand. And, and I think more importantly, too, I mean, my philosophy and the way that I approach this is um, it, it's not sales, really. It's, it's more of our responsibility in this industry to help let business owners know that this is what they need to be doing right now because of, of what we know. Um, and, you know, I take more of a hardline approach with it to the point where if a, a customer or a prospect doesn't understand these things and doesn't see the value in, in that and, and, and isn't willing to follow us as the experts in this field, um, they're probably not a fit for us because in my mind, allowing them to do less than what we know that they need is doing them a disservice. And, and in a lot of ways, you know, especially you know, going back to the, the Kaseya breach as, a, as an example, if we don't have those layers in place, the tools that we are putting on there to manage their systems are putting them more at risk, not less at risk. So that's the way I look at it. Um, and I, I find when I tell people that and, and explain it to them in that way, they tend to be uh, more receptive to that kind of thing. I mean, not everybody's a fit, not everybody has the budget to do what needs to be done. But then again, if you look at the numbers, um, the amount that we're looking to spend over the next you know, two to five years in uh, recovering from cyber incidents, um, if, if that same investment was put into protecting those same businesses, right. a fraction of that. So in my mind, it's something that we just need to do. Yeah, agree. <clears throat> you know, I, I talk a lot. I was just going to just draw an analogy for our, our, our viewers. Um, some people say, well, what does defense in depth actually mean? Right. And Ryan, you touched on it a little bit. The, the whole idea, guys, is if if one of your controls misses uh, an, an attempt to get in or Which it will eventually uh, it will. Right. Nobody on this call, nobody listening should ever assume that one tool is going to stop everything. Right. So you have to have multiple ways to catch and respond to active threats in your environment. So the best analogy is you build a house. Right. You got four walls. But you got to have a door to let people in. Otherwise, it, there's no point to it. Security is the same way. We build walls, but then we have to allow traffic in for email or traffic in for web apps or whatever. And so we've introduced risk. So we got windows. And if I put a lock on the door, but I don't secure the windows, there's another way to get in. So defense in depth says I've got a door. I put a lock on it. I have windows. Inside my walls, I have an alarm system that's got a motion sensor and a brake glass, and I've got multiple layers of defense. You know, I've got a dog, I've got a gun, that if you continue through all of those layers and you get to my data, then you probably earned it. Mm -hmm. But inside, I've got a safe, and inside that safe, I've got encrypted data. So defense in depth says I've got to, I've got to focus on where my risks are, what are my open doors? Let's make sure we secure those in some fashion. But I think to your point earlier, Ryan, I don't have to do it all at once. I can do pieces that supplement what I've already invested in, right? Um, and, and take those strategically that map to your framework that help you get to the end game, which is I want to move my security maturity from a one to a 10. Plus, it starts transforming your mindset, too, if you start thinking about things the way that we do. Absolutely. You see, yeah, you yeah see I agree completely. Completely. I'm going to be the naysayer again. And please, attendees, uh, if you have questions, if, if you need more elaboration on uh, what Ryan and David just spoke on, please, um, please submit questions. I don't see any yet. Or feel free to um, send it through chat. Uh, but for the naysayers out there who are like, okay, my goal is to simplify my vendor list, my, my, my stack of solutions. I cannot manage all of this. And I, I kind of teased you, Ryan, earlier. Yep. Like, how do, you, how do you shoulder all that? Like, it just seems when you think about the layered approach, that there, a lot of these MSPs can barely um, manage one security solution. Right. What, what would you say? I would love to hear from both of you. It, it's important. So that, that's a really big aspect of this. So, so the, the tools that we use for your, your traditional IT support, um, there's not as many of them in comparison to what we need to do in order to um, meet controls for cybersecurity. So 
Uh, you're going to have a lot more tools. You're going to have a lot of vendors out there that are you know, uh, throwing out that single pane of glass, uh, which, which is a myth, by the way. And I, I, I always cringe when I hear that term. Um, but you know, especially in the security world with, with all of these tools, I, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of vendors who do uh, you know, one particular thing really, really well. Um, and by nature of uh, just the beast having to add on some value adds and, and trying to get to that, you know, hey, we've got one solution to make it easier for you. Um, where in, in my mind, it, it's all about having the right tool for that particular job. Um, and so having uh, somebody to manage that who can be a little bit more vendor agnostic as opposed to having them all, all in-house and some tools are better than others or where they can take that data from multiple locations and put it together, I think is really, really key. I mean, one of the, one of the scary things I think we're seeing out there right now, especially with uh, things like FTC safeguards coming down the pipe, is uh, we're seeing different vendors out there who are trying to put out solutions uh, at really low price points in order to allow uh, those particular uh, types of businesses to check a bunch of boxes. So whether it's FTC safeguards, whether it's you know, uh, uh, check boxes on their insurance application, um, but what they're selling is the, the tool. So they're, they're kind of talking about the stuff that we're, we're saying don't do. It's not about the tools. You still have to have somebody to manage those tools, to uh, look at that data, to determine if that's you know, something that's normal or something that needs to be investigated. Um, and so what, what those strategies are doing is, it, yes, it allows them to be technically compliant uh, at the face of that, that law. But then when something does get passed because nobody's watching this stuff, um, you know, they're going to get hit on the back end because most of the time those terms and conditions are going to say, hey, we'll, we'll give you these things, but it's you know, your responsibility to manage them. And that's where most people aren't going to be able to do this. So whether it's managing it uh, in-house as an MSP um, or what, what I like to do is, is, is use a vendor to help us manage some of those other things. So uh, on the one hand, you know, they're you know, talking about being really good at that, that one thing. So I'd rather have somebody uh, that we work with as a strategic partner who does that one thing every day, very, very good, um, and then can monitor and, and, and handle that stuff. Uh, and then, you know, use us as a resource. And then we use them as a resource as well. So like, if there's something that, hey, you know, this looks unusual, we got this alert, um, but I'm not quite sure about it, having them to be able to turn around, you know, as opposed to, you know, having to hire a bunch of CISPs, uh, which is going to be, you know, from a business standpoint, uh, difficult to scale. I mean, you, you can't do that as a smaller uh, MSP, but you can find these strategic vendors uh, like Highwire, for example, to, to be able to do that. So finding those partnerships, I think, really helps because managing this stuff is uh, probably the, the, the biggest key to, to making it all work right. Thanks, Ryan. David? Hmm, I, I love the answer. Um, you know, a couple things that we see traditionally in, in the MSP space is, is they don't have the knowledge themselves, but, but they tempt to go down this path and they have an expectation that they're going to have the same set of knowledge and skill as folks who do this. This is their only job, right? I, I, can, I can write in C, C++, but I can't go compete with somebody who does this every day, right? And what takes them five minutes to code will take me five hours. And so if you think about cyber, yes, folks can do it themselves. There's no doubt. And with enough research and enough time, they can go do those things. The, the thing they are going to struggle with is doing their day job, right? Because cybersecurity, to Ryan's point, is a discipline that this is what you do. This is what you do all day, every day. And finding that partner who can help you navigate the 4,000 tools, right? The volume of data, the responses that are appropriate tied to a framework, right? Tied to any controls that you have. You need somebody who, this is what they live. They breathe, they, they love what they do. You know, this is why Ryan's passionate about cyber, just like I am. We, we live this. And so finding somebody as a partner who can help bridge that gap between the operational requirements of delivering a service and securing that service uh, is where, where where I think folks need to spend some time. And, and it can be difficult too, because I, I mean, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, but sometimes we'll see alerts that look really scary and then, you know, you dive into them a little bit, it's completely normal. And then you'll right. see other ones that look, you know, kind of non-imposing and then you dig deep into them and you're like, uh oh, now, now we've got some a problem. Right. Somebody's trying to get in and, and exactly. take other steps to make sure 
uh, that that threat is mitigated. So yeah. Well, we did get um, a couple questions in, and I want to make sure we get these answered. Um, one question that came in is, do you think there's a point where the complexity of your stack is doing more harm than good? I, I would agree with that, and I think that's where following a framework comes into play. Um, I think where things tend to get most complex is when you're just throwing a bunch of uh, puzzle pieces that maybe don't fit together uh, into the equation versus uh, easing into and following a framework, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, bits and pieces at a time and, and integrating. You know, you try and throw, uh, you know, a, a full, full framework solution, like, overnight, you know, you're, you're going to have some problems. So that's, that's another reason to my point earlier. This isn't something where you can just decide you're doing cybersecurity overnight and be, be doing it within, you know, a week or, or even a couple of months. Right. Something that's going to take time to implement. Uh, and and I'll just weigh in. I, I do think there is a um, what is that diminishing returns? You keep throwing tools at a problem, but you don't solve some of the underlying architecture or framework requirements. You're just spending money uselessly, and, and at some point, you have this false sense of security. Oh, I've got these tools; they're going to protect me, and you left the front door open right. because you didn't pay attention to the chime that said the door was open. Mm -hmm. Right, so. At the end of the day, there is the idea that too many tools lead to the complexity, which lead to opportunity for you to miss something. Mm -hmm. and having someone who's got experience and say, well, you know, to your point earlier, Ryan, these, these three tools, if we bought this one instead, would solve those three controls and add something better, mm -hmm. right? And so that, that's where companies like Ryan's comes into play because he, you're going to help them, right, figure that out. Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, I think it's a balancing act too, right? The, the people, the technology, the processes, making sure that regularly you're, you're reviewing to make sure that if, you know, if, if you've got a great tool, that the people, the processes all balance each other out. And it's not just one is heavy, the other two are lacking. Because if you're, McDavid, to your point, like if there's too much, if there's data, you better act on the data you see if you don't know how to respond to it. Then That's right. You're just as culpable. Um, another question that came up was, how do you look to correlate information across all of them? And I think that's, that's really big, you know, to me in particular in choosing a vendor to help you with this type of stuff. Um, so a managed SOC vendor. Um, and that would be, you know, what, what I'm looking for in that is somebody who can take in uh, as many logs from as many different sources. Because the more information at the end of the day that we have, uh, the more clear a picture that we're going to, going to be able to get on, on whether or not something is, a uh, completely, you know, uh, natural situation that's going on, something totally normal uh, versus, you know, somebody trying to get in and gain access to your data or your system. So um, I, I think using, this is, you know, again, choosing tools too that you got to watch out for. You know, using tools that uh, the, the provider or you, if you're doing it in-house, uh, can ingest those logs and combine it with the rest of the data uh, to, to paint that bigger picture. Uh, well, I, I think... The other point I'd make on that, Susanna, is yeah. as you're looking at tools, guys, one of the things you should always be thinking about is how do I interoperate the data, right? Mm -hmm. If my motion sensor in my house goes off but doesn't tell, doesn't make a call to 911, it doesn't, doesn't do you any good, right? So the, the, the one challenge that the cyber industry struggled with is we talked earlier, 4,000 tools, but they don't talk to each other. Right, right. And so if I've got 10, 10 tools and they're all seeing something, but they're not talking to each other and correlating that with a tool that, that says, oh, this plus this plus this equals this, you're going to miss an event, right? And so the answer in my mind to that question is you need a tool that brings all that data together, normalizes it, enriches it, dedupe it, I sound like a sales guy, and comes up with detections and incidents in that data set that then your operations team can take action on. Think of it like government agencies, right? So like they've, they've all got this intel on this certain event, but nobody's talking to each other. So right. Everybody's got this intel that doesn't really mean anything to any of them, so they don't, and none of them react, but if they all put that information together, hey, you know, this, this might be something that we need to look into. There might be a threat. Exactly, yep. Another question, a little more specific, but how does a non-technical or beginner vet Android apps to ensure they are safe? I think this is a really, really important question. And I think this is, in general, something that people need to get in the habit of asking, whether it's 
uh, Android apps, whether it's a you know a regular software application, whether it's uh, a vendor that you're talking to, whether it's uh, you know your CPA, right? Just asking people the right questions. What what are you doing to keep my data safe? You know, what what are your internal policies like? What are, what is your you know look uh, outlook on security? Asking these questions. I, I think overall the specific answer to this question is you know having somebody uh, a cybersecurity expert to help you with this because there are a lot of moving parts to, to something like that. Um, you know, these are things that are, are, are important parts of a framework, identifying the, the apps and the software that you're using, uh, whether or not those apps are, are still supported, whether or not they're secure. Um, and, and, you know, just as an example, I mean, I, I, I talk to a lot of, of security vendors when we're evaluating different tools and, and, and changes to our stack. Um, and, you know, you, you, you can't take that for granted that just because somebody is putting out a cybersecurity tool that they really understand security themselves. Right. You have to make sure that you're vetting, you know, all of your vendors, all of the things that you're using, anything that you're introducing into your environment um, and, and, and looking at those things. So I think the first step is just asking the right questions, which, you know, that is right on track. I think uh, my, my thought there, you know, a Android is is still a bit of the wild, wild west mm -hmm. with regard to apps. Mm -hmm. And so for a non-techie to decode and and do an assessment on on the app itself is just impossible what you can do is you can look at at the um the producer of that application itself right if you go to their website and it looks a little funky you may not want to load the app up um as you start using the app if you see it's doing some things funky or you feel like it's taking data or whatever you might not want to use the app there's there's no great way right now to validate an app on Android. I'm not an Apple guy, but I can tell you Apple does a better job of vetting apps before they get put in the app store. Android does not. I, I'd love to just push back to Google and say, fix this. You know, that, that needs to be the message from all of the users out there. But I don't know of a better way to, to validate those apps. Sort of digging in yourself. I think on the other side of it too, it's also important to to have plans in place to make those decisions and to keep uh, anything that may not be as trusted separate from from everything else. And, and having uh, so so you don't want to have it set up where your end user can just go ahead and make that decision for you and install that app and and have access to your data. That's right. Yep. Because people will do that. You know, they do. They don't know what they don't know, and, and they don't think that there's anything wrong with that. They think, hey, it's in the Android store. Boom, we're good. Um, but you have to make sure that you have policies in place you know, kind of to protect people against themselves. All right, we, we're getting a lot of questions in now, so I'm going to go one by one. Um, hopefully, we get to all of them. Um, this is for David. Um, I'd like to get your view on how we can manage new products not similar to what we normally handle, and also for those that want to start, what should be their first question in terms of strategy for the question? So I think I think I know where Kyle's going. Um, Gordon. And, and Kyle, well, Gordon, sorry. <laughs> I didn't know if it was Kyle Gordon or Gordon Kyle. Either way. Um, so I, I think the short answer is, uh, I'll rewind to where, where Ryan started the conversation. Um, having a strategy is is tied to a framework. So pick pick one that as you read it makes sense to you and then start building your questions off of that. IE and and if you're looking for specific tooling, the things you might start with, I would start with users, right? Teach them what bad looks like. Because if I can if I can take the user vector out of my risk profile, I win. Because most threats are coming from email or attachments or clicking on stuff they shouldn't. If we take that off the table by teaching them what bad looks like and what good looks like, be an awareness phishing campaign, big ROI. Number two is having an EDR that enforces cybersecurity policy on the device, no matter where the device goes. So if they go home, if they go to Starbucks, if they're at the Marriott, they have protection. So I would focus on those two to begin with. And then I think third is is what data are you trying to protect, right? Because that's going to drive other controls. Where's my data sit? Uh, is it protected? Is it encrypted? Do I have controls around it? But I think if you start small 
and work your way through that strategy roadmap, you end up moving your security posture from low to high. And I, I would also add too, you know, your, your step one is going to be identifying, you know, to your point, data, but you know, but even devices and hardware, where all of that stuff exists, uh, because that's another blind spot that we run into a lot. Is is there's things in the environment that people have completely forgot or even there. So you need to know what you're working with uh, first before you can start making the plan in order to protect it. Uh, another question, cybercrime is increasing on a daily basis. How can we reduce the same? How do you combat ransomware <laughs> as a service and all the better? I, don't know, I think if we, had, if we had the answer to that, we would be uh, um, uh, in a different place than we are now. I mean, to me, it goes back to education, um, you know, educating people on what's actually going on out there. Like one, one of the things I like to ask people is, or, or talk to people about is, is imagine what, a, what the world would look like today if five years ago when we started talking, like really talking about MFA, that we got full buy-in from people. We weren't still trying to push, get people and convince people to, to uh, incorporate MFA into their uh, standard security policies. I would argue if we were able to do that five years ago, um, the the cyber criminals wouldn't have made as much bank in the last five years as they are now to where, I mean, we're talking about organizations that basically have research and development departments. So it's it's not just, you know, right. a, a bunch of dudes in hoodies, uh, you know, sitting in, a, in the dark, you know, hacking into your, your stuff. I mean, they've got customer service, they've got research and development, and it just makes it really difficult to combat. So I think having good posture, taking that money and instead of paying ransoms, investing before that into having proper cybersecurity is really going to be the key to kind of shift things. I mean, uh, like everything else in, in this world, it, it always kind of comes back to money eventually. Uh, and if we can control that to where they're not able to make as much as, as, as what they're making right now, I think we can start trying to turn the tide a little bit. Yeah, reduce the incentive and, and you reduce the uh, effort they put in. Um, <clears throat> you know, the other thing I would tell you is security is not a destination. It's a journey. Um, we should quote that, Susanna. Yeah. And <laughs> don't don't think you've arrived ever, right? I, I've been doing this longer than I care to admit, and I'm I still haven't arrived. Um, and I probably have forgotten a lot of security just because it changes every day than some folks will ever know. Only because I've been doing this forever, and it's a journey. So start. You know, don't put your hand in the sand and wait for somebody to come fix it. Start small, work your way. Uh, yeah, there we go. Thank you, Susanna. Uh, work your way to that destination, knowing that you're never going to get there. But if you keep working towards it, you're going to get better incrementally. Um, not ex exponentially, exponentially up front, right? When you start doing a couple of key things, blocking and tackling, you'll have some exponential responses. But after that, it becomes linear. It takes time. It's a journey. Yeah. Don't don't think you're going to get there tomorrow. And and starting, I think, is that that first step. I mean, most most sure. hackers are lazy. Most of them aren't targeting a, a specific no. company. You know, they hit that that first speed bump, and they're usually moving on to the next one. So even just starting out with what you can uh, is going to make a huge difference in 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 minimizing that risk going forward. Thank you both. Great answers. Do we have a specific online app or apps to help avoid or reduce cybercrime? Online apps. There, are, you know, there's browsing anonymizers that you can find, and if you just Google that, you'll find them out there. I don't know that there's one in particular that I would recommend or push, um, but anonymizing your browsing means, and and in that process, using a service that might stop you from going to DNS entries that are bad or websites that are bad with bad reputation. I think that is a good place to start. I think number two is, is you open things on the internet, look at them close. Mm -hmm. I right? don't, don't assume because it looks like it's from bank of America that it is right. What you missed is that I in America is an L and when you click on that, it takes you someplace that looks like bank of America and you put your banking credentials in and now they have all your money. So be a little more aware. Um, but I, Ryan, I don't know about you, but I can't think of any great tool outside of no. And and my my first thought, and, and and you brought it up a couple of times, is is 
this is where training comes into play like big time. So, yeah. and this is something that we talk about a lot, but, but, you know, also kind of end up, uh, you, know, you throw this out to a customer sometimes and you're going to get some moans and groans like, Oh man, I got to take these little tests and stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's so important and it really helps people learn how to look at certain things. So I, I've, I've had people who have done that, like, I don't want to take a test every week you know, or every month. Um, and then, you know, a couple months later, you know, I, I've had a conversation with them and you know what, I find that I'm looking at things totally differently just because we do these little five minute trainings every so often. That's right. Now yeah. when I get an email, there's, there's that little voice in the back of my head that's saying, hey, double check this, double check this. So getting people in the habit of what to look for um, and keeping up to date on it because, you know, just like any of the, the, the tactics that they're using, they're changing and evolving. Uh, so keeping up on what those are um, yep. and current. And then that, that helps people not get in those situations in the first place. Exactly. All right. Another question that came in from Anne, what are our compliance obligations regarding sensitive data i think it depends on where you're at right david in what industry yeah right? at, at the end of the day there's regulatory requirements in each individual vertical if you will mm -hmm. government cmmc hipaa healthcare, pci credit card there's more and more especially with sensitive data or mm -hmm. pii data uh, and then if you think about it broader, there's issues in Europe and South America and Asia where they've got different legislation driving data protection, data sovereignty, all of that. And so there's there's no short answer to that question that I'm aware of outside of if you can define what industry you're in, you can find the uh, associated requirements, regulatory compliance requirements that you have for that industry. And I would take this back to our previous conversation talking about, you know, how you choose, just choose a framework and they're going to be related enough to where if, right. if and when that specific compliance comes down for that industry or that, that state or that country, you're going to be there. But most of That's them right. have the same general idea of how to do these types of things. Um, they're just worded a little bit differently. Um, so pick one and that's really going to end up being the answer. So in the absence of a specific compliance requirement by your industry or state or whatever, you know, choose a framework and start there. Yep. All right. Now we, I did miss one question. Um, uh, Ryan is asking when I have to set up a firewall, is it necessary to modify the default password for the firwall device? Any device, not especially the firewall. Wait, but wait, any was device. that a softball? Did somebody throw <laughs> us a softball question? <laughs> Look, if you don't change the password, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah. Um, default passwords are the first thing you should change. And, and I would stress, so, so a firewall is usually going to be the more obvious one to change, but I would stress anything that's on your network and, and, and your network should be segregated in the first place. But like where we see this happen a lot is uh, the IOT uh, internet of things type devices. So you know, yep. they, they, you know, somebody throws uh, you know, a, a, an Alexa on their, their network and then doesn't segregate it. Doesn't uh, you know, uh, maybe that's a bad example because there's not really a password for that, but, just using that. Eventually, a hacker may gain access to your network or that segment of your network and, and be able to see that that's a device there. And then, you know, if, if the password is, is you know, Googleable because it's the default, you know, they're going to gain access to it. And, and right. vulnerabilities exist in those devices and they're often uh, not patched or not patched as often as a more critical device like a firewall. So you could be, you know, you could have more risk in that IoT device than your firewall sometimes. Exactly. Yep. All right, so um, if you guys have any last minute questions, please submit them because I think we're going to wrap up here. Um, before I let Ryan and David loose, um, 2023, here we, here we come, right? So there's a new year ahead of us. I love January 1st because we can reset, um, even for my own personal goals. There are a lot of MSPs listening right now. Mm -hmm. What advice um, as we you know, wrap up this call, what advice can you give to our business leaders today? Their owners, they may be small on us because we, I know we've got some larger ones, mm -hmm. larger clients, regardless of size, what um, words of wisdom can you impart? 
I, I like the concept of choosing it, choosing a framework and, and, and on one hand, just starting to learn it. Cause I think that's, you know, if, if you're just getting started out, it's a really great way of catching up. I mean, um, it depends on your personality. It could be the type of reading that's going to put you, put you to sleep and help you sleep at night. Uh, or, or you could be like me. And sometimes you start reading it and it's like, Oh, now I just want to get to the next page, which right. I, I admit I have a problem there. Um, but, but choosing one and learning and, and starting to implement that. Um, I mean, if I was going to choose one now in hindsight, um, today, I would probably say, look at CIS version eight. Um, it's, it's nice. It's, it's, uh, as far as frameworks go, it's a little bit easier to digest. Uh, they have implementation groups to where you can start at, at uh, implementation group one and get started and then move up through groups two and three. So it's a little bit more digestible and, and uh, structured to implement. But choosing something and starting down that path would be, would be my biggest piece of advice. Okay. I, w- I would say don't be married to your stack, right? We, we all have favorites and sometimes the favorites are great because they're the best that's out there but if you don't objectively look at your stack and you compare it to your framework and the controls that you're trying to achieve you might your stack may not be good enough right and there's been some a lot of interesting new products that have come out in the last 18 months that may make your stack better so don't uh what was the word we used before don't be so stuck on the fact that you've got the perfect stack because you may not be open to looking at some other ideas <clears throat> but those ideas should follow this framework we're talking about how do they fit a gap how do they help solve a problem are they interoperable can i share data amongst them can i build run books and response plans that are automated in fashion because the data talks to each other all of those things if your stack needs a look over there's a lot of folks out there who would be glad to help you think through yeah you know mcafee's probably not the right tool anymore Mm -hmm. maybe you should update so you know don't be married to your stack look look for ways to be better and and to take the pressure off too you know there is no perfect stack and i I think you'll agree with that so don't think there is and 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 be looking to find that perfect stack because it doesn't exist you need to find the best stack uh for for what you're trying to accomplish and for what your clients and customers need Exactly. All right. So if you have any questions about today's podcast, you can always email us at podcast at highwirenetworks.com. And remember to like this episode as we as we enter into the holidays, share it with your colleagues as they're heading to grandma's house and traveling across the country to visit family and share it on social media. And as always, please subscribe. Yeah, we, we, uh, we love doing this podcast. Suzanne and I talk about it all the time. And we're not here without our listeners. So uh, we, we truly appreciate your time and your energy that you put into listening to what we have to say, asking questions, um, anything we can do to help. You know, that's why we're here. If, if we don't talk to you sooner, have a wonderful, happy holidays, and we will see you in 2023. Absolutely. Until next time, until 2023, I'm Susanna Song. And I'm Dave Barton. And this is Cybersecurity From all of us here at Overwatched by Highwire Networks, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate the episodes you enjoyed, share, and leave us a comment. We'll catch you next time on the Cybersecurity Simplified podcast. Remember, the more you know about cybersecurity, the safer you'll be. To learn more, visit us at highwirenetworks.com slash podcasts.